1: Manchester City has one foot in Champions League's Final Eight, while Arsenal face the realities of one of the best teams of its generation. In Europa, we look forward to United, Liverpool, and Spurs' chances to help UEFA's coefficient, while the season's first piece of silverware will be handed out on Sunday. Welcome everybody to this edition of the World Soccer Talk Podcast. I'm your host Richard Farley. Thank you very much for joining us. Nipun Chopra is going to join me in the second half of the show to preview the coming weekend in England. But right now, I want to welcome in Karthik Krishnair to talk about the Champions League week that was. And kartik let's start with the game that just finished a few hours ago, Manchester City's 3-1 victory in Kiev over Dynamo. Manuel Pellegrini got a surprising amount of flack in the English press and among some Manchester City fans for feeling a second or third choice team on Sunday in the FA Cup. Does this result at all vindicate his decision?
2: Yes. Uh, you know, there was a lot of... Uh, flack from the English media, the romantics about the FA Cup, just a lot of negativity. I actually applauded saying I wish Pellegrini had learned to do this a couple of years ago (laughs) and, and, and rotate his squad in the cup competitions. Because if you look at the League Cup, and obviously Manchester City are in the final on Sunday, consistently Pellegrini has picked his top side, his top players, or something close to his first team in the League Cup, even against lower division opposition. And then the same thing in the FA Cup last season against Sheffield Wednesday and then against Middlesbrough. We were eliminated by Middlesbrough, but he played a, a, a first-choice side. So this is the first time he's really kind of taken advantage of the cup competitions the way Roberto Mancini did to rotate his squad. Hmm. Uh, and it was essential because uh, Jesus Navas is injured. Um, Kevin De Bruyne is injured. Samir Nasri is injured. Uh, and on and on and on. Manchester City just don't have that many fit. Senior players. There are a lot of youngsters that are that could fill roles, but we saw that some of those guys aren't ready uh, on Sunday. So it, that decision is vindicated. He still has the ability to rotate his fullbacks, uh, and that's about it. No other no other first players can be rotated. Uh, even the goalkeeper. We saw Caballero come up in a couple couple errors <laughs> on Sunday. So he had to he had to hold the guys like uh, Agüero and Silva and Sterling. And uh, Yaya Torre, those four guys, and Fernandinho, those five guys in particular who absolutely positively are going to have to play because there's no one backing them up uh, that can that can play right now, your player, and um, he had to hold those five guys out at a minimum, and he held all five of them out, and I think all five guys played pretty well today.
1: It seemed to really pay off. I think a lot of people thought Manchester City were the better team here, but it was a long trip from Manchester to Kiev. Uh It's obviously a road game in Champions League against very talented opposition. And even though Kiev hasn't played a match in two and a half months because of Ukraine's long winter break, I think people expected more of a challenge in this one. And at the beginning of the match... It looked like Dinimo Kiev was going to put up that challenge, but a 3-1 scoreline looks very impressive. And I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that Manchester City, with a home game coming in a couple of weeks, does have one foot in a very rare uh, round of eight appearance in Champions League.
2: Right, it would be the first time in club history, a round of eight appearance in the UEFA Cup under Mark Hughes, Uh, Six or seven seasons ago now, but this is uh, the high watermark in Europe for Manchester City potentially since uh, winning the Cup Winners Cup back in 1970, uh, coming off of an FA Cup win in 1969 over Leicester City, the famous game where Neil Young scored the winning goal. So uh, it's a historic uh, victory for Manchester City. And it was... um, Again, very telling about Manchester City. I think that there is an emphasis on Europe this season. We've seen Manchester City's best performances have been in Europe this season. However, it was still uneven. Very good in the first half. I thought Silva and Sterling in particular looked better than they've looked in, in weeks, maybe months yeah. in the case of Silva. Uh, Sterling has had a couple of nice games mixed in there with with a lot of indifferent games. But Both were really good in the the, first half. The
1: goal they teamed up on was a very well-executed goal from Aguero to Sterling to Silva. Uh, Sterling's ability to kind of see past four defenders in that line to know that Silva was making that run. And the distance of that run for Silva, too. Just a really well-worked goal.
2: But then in the second half, we saw some of the same defensive frailties uh, that we've seen before. Uh, Fernando sometimes out of position. Yaya Torre not tracking back. Uh, Ode Mendy overcommitting mm-hmm. defensively, he overcommits a lot, a- and uh, the fullbacks uh, not always on it. Clichy uh, getting beaten, he he had a tough assignment, right? Yarmolenko is one of the best wide players in Europe, so uh, that was a uh, that was a difficult one for Clichy particularly. But uh, again, Yarmolenko was coming off a winter break, so yeah. he wasn't as sharp today as he might be in that second leg. So it was important to get a, uh, and not just Yarmolenko, but the whole uh, Dinamo Kiev side. So it was important to get the the, the first leg result that Manchester City got.
1: You, you mentioned it a little bit. I think we have to talk about the how the squad will change between now and Sunday. We're going to talk about the League Cup. Final in depth in the second half of the show, but Manchester City's lack of depth on the bench we saw from the team that was named today. Really, the only regulars that were healthy enough to make this trip were backup fullbacks. I get it's even deceiving to call them backup fullbacks, kind of co-starters. Pablo Zabaleta, Alexander Kolarov. I guess we would expect them to come into the starting eleven this week, and The only other option to rotate into the team will be Caliche Anacho, and that would entail a formation change probably, or just purely dropping Sergio Aguero. How do you think this short turnaround, even though Liverpool has a short turnaround too, they don't have to travel, they're against lesser opposition, how do you think this short turnaround is going to affect Manchester City's prospects on Sunday?
2: Well, I think it's going to be the same side, um, with the exception of the two fullbacks. And, and uh, probably you'll see. Uh, you know what? It, it, it depends on whether you'll see Clichy or Kolarov. Because I think there's a there's a real concern about Kolarov's defensive ability. Uh, Pellegrini has had that concern. And if he feels like whoever's playing on the right side for uh, for Liverpool, and, and we don't know what kind of formation Klopp's going to play, who's who he's going to throw out there? Uh, if he's concerned about that player, uh, he's going to put Clichy uh, there. Cliche played today because I think the, the decision was made that Kolarov can't mark uh, Yarmolenko, right? I mean, and that's that's an accurate description, right? He's he's not. Uh, Kolarov is uh, is a wing back, right? He's a guy who's mm. been shoehorned into a four four two or a four two three one or four three three whatever four back formation uh, team that Manchester City's played since he's been in England the last six years. But at Lazio, he was always a wing back. And I think if he were to go back to Serie A, he'd be playing in, in uh, let's say he went to Lazio's rivals. Let's say Spalletti brought him to Roma. Uh, I could see him just playing left wing back. I, I don't think he's ever been that kind of left fullback against a really good attacking winger you want. So Clichy might end up starting that game also. But I think, uh, yeah, Sonia and Zabaleta will rotate. And I would expect those two to rotate for a while now, given uh the fixture congestion Manchester City has. So this happened to be Sonia's date, so I would say Zabaleta against Liverpool in the in the final, then uh, back to Sonia against in the league, which is the, the following Wednesday. Uh, other than that, there's no rotation coming. I, I don't think... Uh, look, I, you would be tempted to drop Sterling or Silva and put Iannaccio in a four four two if those two guys hadn't both looked so good today. Hmm. Uh, but, because um, Pellegrini has done that at times in the period where City has had this very thin squad where he's he's gone from 4-2-3-1, which is the default formation, dropped uh, drop them. it would either be Silva or um, or Sterling, and then dr- put in Iannaccio up top uh, next to Aguero. But both those guys coming off good games, I think he will probably play them both. And then maybe Silva doesn't play in the league game against uh, Liverpool and Anfield on Wednesday, and then you, you switch to the four four two, Or maybe Manchester City have another player or two available by then. It, it looks like Jesus Navas... Uh, will be back at some point in the next uh, few weeks, and Kevin De Bruyne should be back at the beginning of April. So if Manchester City can stay in these competitions, stay in Europe until then, and stay within sight of the uh, of the top uh, three in the Premier League, it's possible that the season may not be lost. However, it is at this point looking like uh, if Manchester City don't win Sunday, it will be a trophyless season. That's just the the, the feeling, especially with the manager manager change coming, with Pellegrini uh, with Pellegrini leaving and Pep coming in and then all these in.
1: One more match on Wednesday. Probably a predictable result. Atletico Madrid at PSV Eindhoven finishing 0-0. The twist here is that PSV played the last 30 minutes of this match down 10 men. As is, Atletico gets a decent result, goes home to the Vicente Calderon for the second leg, where they'll be favored there. Tuesday's results had the marquee matchup of the week. The defending champions in this tournament, the emerging clear favorites in this tournament, Barcelona at Arsenal. We talked about this matchup a lot this weekend, Kartika. You and I talked about it. Lawrence and I talked about it. Talked about whether we were not giving Arsenal enough of a chance in this one. They end up losing 2-0. And I think as a testament to Barcelona, it can be said that Arsenal didn't play that bad, but Barcelona is just really damn good.
2: Yeah, I think the difference is that... This sounds very. This is going to sound very silly and like the simplest analysis you've heard on this show in, in 10 years, since we've been on here 10 years. Uh, Barcelona just has better players. I, I can't pin anything Ars- uh, Arsenal did wrong in this match, uh, other than um, that counter-attacking goal and and perhaps a uh, couple guys being out of position. Uh, we can get to that in a minute. But you, you think about the chance that falls to to the Ox Oxley Chamberlain. If Arsenal had a better player, uh, a, a highly high, highly priced. Uh, player in that position, you know, the kind of players that Manchester city, Chelsea and man United seem to buy every year uh, city uh, less so recently, but uh, the kind of players, Manchester United are buying constantly. Uh, they probably score there. And, and a couple of the other opportunities you could point out saying, well, maybe if, if Arsenal had better players, uh, they would have been, uh, they, they would have been fine. I, I don't think they played bat poorly. The one player I do think did not have a good game was messi And that's very disappointing. Uh, this mm-hmm. was a great opportunity for him. Former Real Madrid player, a guy who's on the cusp of being a world-class player, and it seems like he's been on the cusp of being a world-class player since he left uh, 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 Verde Bremen to join Real Madrid in 2010, but he's never quite gotten there. This could have been a match at home at the Emirates where he, he asserted himself into that conversation, and, and he just wasn't very good. But uh, And the other player that was very disappointing, obviously, was Soccer. Soccer. Um, one quick note. Calkulin was taken off for Flamini and I, I felt bad for Flamini. He gave up that penalty mistake by Soccer. But we have to uh, assume Calkulin cannot go 90 minutes just yet in, at this level of intensity because otherwise there's absolutely no reason to pull that guy off. Right. I mean, he was having a very good game.
1: Yeah, no, that's that's a good point, and how that'll affect this weekend where Man uh, Manchester United welcomes Arsenal at Old Trafford. Maybe that's something to watch too. Manchester United, another team that has the potential to dominate possession, although Arsenal can put up a bigger fight at Old Trafford. Although
2: Wenger I mean. v- probably felt felt like he needs if if he has to go ninety minutes in one of those games, Cucal and you're going to want him against Manchester United. Yeah, for sure,
1: but P- potentially. Let's talk about that counter attacking goal, card because as you were mentioning it, I do think that's just a great example of the very small art margin of error teams have against Barcelona we saw Luis Suarez really get that counterattack attack into motion but rather than playing that ball across to Neymar at his first chance he waited for the defender to close him out on the sideline and then play the ball between his legs and then Neymar rather than hitting it over to Messi at the first opportunity possible waited for two defenders to come to him and then played it across to Messi and then Messi instead of playing that ball first time actually set it up had got a round check really good finish I think that's just a, the best example of how sublimely brilliant Barcelona is. At all of these points in that process, they had the opportunity to make the right play. And at all those points, they made a special play instead. And it made for a beautiful counterattack and an easy goal. And maybe Arsenal could have done something to stop it. Maybe they could have been better before Luis Suarez even touched the ball. But I think that was just such a great example of how little margin of error you have against Barcelona.
2: Yeah, you have none. You have no margin for error. And... To get undone on a counter is a little bit of cruel and unusual punishment for Arsenal on this because uh, they were countering so well to that point. But again, they couldn't finish those chances. And Ter Stegen made a couple of nice saves. The one Giroud had early in the second half or maybe around the 60th minute, I really thought he could have done better with that. I'm, I'm a, generally an Olivier Giroud backer, but that was one where he could have uh, he could have picked out the corner a little better on that and, and Ter Stegen may not have gotten there. But other than that, I mean, they they... Their chances were kind of going wayward. And as I said, they had the wrong people over the ball. Giroud in that case. They had um, uh, Ox on the the chance in the late in the first half. Uh, I, I thought Danny Welbeck injected a lot when he came on to the pitch. But again, I don't, I'm not sure I want Danny Welbeck in front of goal against Barcelona. <laughs> I mean, I really, although he scored that winner against Leicester in an equally important game. So um, maybe he didn't even have time to think about that because he had just come on in, in that yeah. case. But it, it was... Um, it was sublime, the goal. And it was also a reminder of how defensively frail Arsenal is. And this is where Arsene Wenger's got to think about the rest of the way. If they're going to catch Leicester City in the Premier League and catch Spurs, they're very much third favorite in my book behind those two teams. Do you have to make that change now? Do you keep Murta Soccer in the team? Do you go to Gabriel? Do you maybe even go to Callum Chambers as a right center back? Murda Soccer is making a lot of mistakes. A lot of uh, a, a, a lot of mistakes of age, but a lot of mistakes of judgment. And this was a player who never made judgment, uh, poor judgment uh, decisions in the past, but lunging into challenges, uh, picking up red cards, uh, not clearing the ball properly, the sorts of things that he never used to do. Murder soccer's foot speed was, has always been questionable, but his uh, football head and his football brain never was. Now, seeing some odd things out of him, it, it might be time to drop him. Uh, mm-hmm. they, they've got Spurs in a couple of weeks. Uh, March 5th, uh, that that's a big game.
1: Yeah, very big game. And we, we highlighted that one when you were last on the podcast. Uh, you have that one being a draw at White Hart Lane based on tradition, how Tottenham hasn't quite been able to get over the hump against Arsenal. But obviously, there are some factors in 2016 that could change that history. The other thing that I wanted to talk about, and this dovetails with what you were saying about Mesut Ozil, who was more quiet in this game than I think Arsenal fans would like him to be. And it goes back to something we've been saying all season, that Metsut Ozil needs to be special for Arsenal to win this title. The thing that I want to highlight here is Wenger's inability to make adjustments. Because we saw so many times in this game, Javier Mascherano cheating very early, coming out of the defense to cut off that ball to metsud Ozil. It wasn't even that Barcelona was having to keep Sergio Busquets near Metsud Olso. They were freeing him up to react to the play in front of him. Barcelona had tons of possession in this game and Arsenal was backed into their defensive third most of this game. Javier Mascherano jumping in front of Metsud Olso, maintaining possession as Arsenal was trying to get out of their half. Ice, Iso- leaving Gerard Piquet isolated on Olivier Giroud, not having a weapon that could really have Uh, Arsenal pay uh, or not Arsenal Barcelona pay for that tactic and not having a tactic that can actually exploit Barcelona willing to go with one central back at different points in time and let Javier Mascherano roam forward I thought that was very telling because I just didn't see an adjustment for Arsene Wenger and just on a very basic level if you were going to let your opponent to do that if you were going to let your opponents take a central defender and mark out your number ten you're going to have a very hard time maintaining possession, let alone actually winning one of these games.
2: Yeah, and there was no tactical change made, and Arsenal certainly have guys on the bench that, that you could make the change win. Although, Santi Cathola being injured, I yeah. guess, has impacted kind of how, uh, I mean, you, you, know, you could throw him in, in and, give, uh, and push Ramsey forward, wouldn't have to play Ox at all. And you play Ramsey out wide, actually, in that case, and maybe the whole thing looks different, mm-hmm. and 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 the assignments are different. And Mascherano can't cheat like that if if he's got Cattolà to worry about, and, and Ramsey might cut in from the from the right side and 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 do uh, do some damage. It was also, I mean, one other performance I was not thrilled with from the Arsenal perspective was uh, Alexis was against his former team. He had mm-hmm. some flashes, but he wasn't. Um, He wasn't as sharp as he – I thought he was in performance. I really fancied him to have a good game, uh, a big game, because I I thought he had a point to prove. And and he he played hard, but um, you're seeing the the quality difference between Alexis and the guys that replaced him, right? Neymar and and Suarez. Uh, It's it's a pretty steep drop-off.
1: Yeah, I would have liked them to put Alexis up at the number nine and start playing some long balls behind the defense so Alexis can use his speed to run onto them and maybe um, try to outrun – outrun Gerard Piquet a little bit but most more than anything I like you think Olivier Giroud is a good striker but this is this is an example of where not having an elite striker that you're afraid a defense can just play a ball to and they can not only win the ball and hold it up like Olivier Giroud can do but then can turn and take on a man and create his own shot I don't think Olivier Giroud is actually that good at that and I, I think that's one of the reasons why Barcelona could take the risk with Mascherano Arsenal didn't really have a guy that was going to make Right, pay and there for are that.
2: guys in England who can do that even at this very moment. I mean, I think of Harry Kane. Uh, he's it, a guy that could that could I'm mean, not saying that he's an elite level striker, but Ooh, he could yeah. he could play that way.
1: Kane, uh, Vardy, Aguero a, Aguero, a lot of teams have yeah. uh, even Diego Costa when he's on his game can do these things. Arsenal just doesn't have a, a guy like that. And to a certain extent, I think Arsenal fans have been right to ask for that guy.
2: Yeah, I think that Giroud has been underappreciated by some because of that. Uh, That having been said, uh, you're you're looking at a match like this and there's a clear difference. The difference makers uh, on Barcelona are just that much better. And that's why, uh, as much as uh, you want to lament some of the chances that went missing, uh, that went wanting for for Arsenal, they fell to the wrong guys. And Mm -hmm. Arsenal doesn't have the right guys. (laughs) Maybe Alexis is the right guy, but again, I just said a few minutes ago, Alexis. Yep. You saw the difference in level between him and the guys that are, are now playing uh, in, in, in the roles that he that he vacated. Neymar is playing directly in the role he vacated, but Neymar was already there before no. he left. Uh, Suarez really is the guy that replaced him on the team, and uh, he's just not uh, he's just not at that level. It's, yeah. it's, it's plain and simple.
1: Yeah, it's. I mean, I shake my head because of this because it. <sighs> A lot of ways, I feel bad for Arsenal fans because they have been given reason for hope with players like Sanchez and Ozil and Check coming to the club. But there is a reason why Barcelona felt comfortable. Check was tremendous, though. Yes, I mean, Cech. That, yes, Cech, Cech has won absolutely. the
2: Champions League. He's and, and keep in mind, Peter Petr Check has has. Uh, this is probably the first time Check's lost to Barcelona. I think in his career uh, with Chelsea, he never lost to or Maybe he lost one game. I know uh, Barcelona advanced past them the year when Iniesta got that goal. Yeah. That was a was one a draw though. Cause it the, was a
1: draw. Yeah. Yep.
2: Yeah. That equalized the Michael
1: 1-2. Essien's goal. The, the right. goal nobody remembers. That was just as good as Iniesta's, but it just came before.
2: Right. So the, the, the reality is Czech has been uh, a Barca killer yeah. and he was, again, he made some tremendous things. Uh, he was communicating well with that back line. I just, uh, I just, Arsenal's just not good enough. I mean, yeah, it's, well, it's 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 it, no and no one is. Yeah, no. no. Bar- Arsenal Arsenal certainly played Barcelona at home better than Real Madrid did. They yeah. certainly played better than Byron did last season Absolutely. against the same Barca team. So there's nothing to really be hang your uh, head on. We have to give some analysis and we have to say Ozil wasn't as good as we'd hoped he'd be. Uh, yeah. Sanchez wasn't as good as he had hoped he'd be. We'd be. And I, I had deluded myself into thinking Arsenal could get a result in this game and at least set up a, a, a competitive second leg, but it didn't happen, obviously. But uh, there's nothing, there's really nothing more Wenger could have done other than maybe make those adjustments you talked about. And even mm-hmm. that without Cathola, in the, uh, fully fit without, um, Arteta being available or an Arteta-like player, Mm -hmm. uh, I guess he he just didn't have the flexibility.
1: They were going up against a team that arguably has 8 of the top 15 or 16 players in the world. And so Sanchez and Ozil wouldn't necessarily like meet that standard all the time. Those two are still really great players, but when we're talking about the inability to get over the hump, look, this is a really significant hump, and no other team probably is going to get over this hump this year, just like no other team got over that hump last year. I think Arsenal uh, fans and players have reasons to be proud of their team and be proud of themselves. I think they gave a good effort just against a remarkable team one other game we haven't talked about yet we'll talk about for a little bit is the game that happened in Turin uh, Bayern Munich was up to a 2-0 lead in the second half and this one Juventus came back with, with a 2-2 draw I, Kartik I think this showed the best and worst of both teams it showed why both of these teams are amongst the best in Europe right now and it also showed how both teams are are pretty flawed too
2: yeah but I mean if you're Pep Gordiola and you're but well, Bayern, you, you you played Juventus off the park for 60 minutes. He should have been up five six nil. Mm-hmm. You, you 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 could have put this tie to bed. Missed opportunities, missed chances, and then then just switched off and and defensive errors. And I ha, I hate to point this out because uh, he's been so romanticized uh, as a keeper. But I have seen numerous distribution errors now from Neuer, uh, both in Bundesliga play and European play over the course of the last. Uh, three or four months and he, he uh I, I don't know I mean he, he's a great shot stopper and he can come off his line and, and uh and um and, and and break up play but I I don't see those sorts of errors from the the other keeper that was playing in this game I and mean, these are maybe the two top two keepers in the world along with De Gea so two of the top three Buffon is still in that conversation for me he doesn't do all these fancy things that Neuer does but as a shot stopper as an organizer he's still there and I have not seen buffon make the kind of distribution errors that neuer did so neuer makes a di- distribution error uh they're they're, they're 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 having trouble getting out of their own half after the uh first uh Juve goal and uh the game completely changed and it was asked if they switched off pep has got to be furious because look i know they have the two away goals but this Juve team is good enough to go to uh, munich and win or, or to get a uh, a 2-2 and get it get it to extra time where anything can happen so uh this was as poorly as Juve had played since September in, in that uh, first half. And Bayern didn't take advantage of it. And now I, I, they're up against it. I mean, I, I know it's very uh, fashionable will just say, oh, they have the two away goals. They're Bayern. They're going to win this tie. I'm not so sure about that. I, mm-hmm. I think this is really a toss of the coin. I know um, ESPN has that SPI, which gives Bayern like a 70% chance of advancing based on some mm-hmm. metric. I think it's 50-50, honestly. Really? It's going to be. Wow. Yeah, I think Juve could go. The way Juve – Juve is not going to play as poorly as they did in that first half in the in the second mm-hmm. line. I don't care that it's at the Allianz. And given what we saw when Juve raised their game, I – I think
1: it's 50-50. I think they Hmm. have a a shot. 70% feels right to me, noting that 30% is, you know, the old baseball adage. If you have three hits out of 10, you're a success. I mean, I think that's not exactly a rare thing for a three out of 10 chance to come through. I think I'm of two minds on Juventus. I agree with you that it has been four or five months since we've seen them perform this poorly. But they did perform pretty poorly over the bulk of this match, and it made me wonder if I can trust any result or any performance I see out of Serie A anymore. Has the league diminished so much that when Juventus goes on a run of 12, 13 straight wins, that there's nothing there I can trust? Because when they get back to Europe, it's just a completely and utterly different level at this point.
2: Yeah, that's very true. I mean, the only thing that we saw from them was that they were able to beat Manchester City twice in Europe. That having been said, Manchester City won the group because they beat everybody else and Juve couldn't Juve draw points against the other two teams.
1: Yeah, and and we've said that Manchester City for most of this year has not been a good team and we've also said that England itself is a diminished league too. So what 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 are we really learning here? I don't know. My instincts tell me Juventus is a very good team, but I actually don't seem to have that much proof of that except for the last 20 or 30 minutes of the game on Tuesday, and even then I wouldn't be surprised if Juventus does the same thing they did to Real Madrid last year ends up knocking them out maybe they win one nothing at the Allianz I also wouldn't be surprised if Bayern Munich wins 4 nothing because the first hour of the match on Tuesday was just that convincing. Right,
2: right, and then you know you let Robin cut in on his left foot, he's going to score, that's what happened, I mean this basic defensive error, Lickstatter couldn't do anything against Douglas Costa it was awful mm-hmm. in the first half, so uh, and then it's Patrice Evra that let, uh, let Robin. And he's played against Robin you know, dozens of times probably by now. Robin scored a similar goal against him uh, for Oof. Bayern against Manchester United in the Champions League uh, five, killer. six seasons ago. Remember that Oof. goal Yeah. At Old Trafford?
1: Everybody should remember that goal. I mean, Manchester United thought they were through at that point. Right.
2: Yeah, and they were. I mean, they, were, um, they, had, uh, they had
1: taken a 3-0 lead in that second
2: leg. And then that goal just changed everything. And then Bayern got another goal, and they went through on away goal. So uh, it was very much a reversal of '99, uh, right? That 2010 tie that sent Bayern through to the final against uh, against Inter. I mean, it was just very, um, very, very difficult to see how Juventus can defend Bayern in wide areas. So I grant you that for the second leg, and maybe Coleman plays uh, in the second leg. Uh, if Robin is injured or is is, is slowed down by then, so um, yeah, maybe Bayern do have an advantage. You've kind of talked me
1: into <laughs> yeah, but Bayern, you know, it goes back to something we mentioned this week, and they actually haven't been that good this year. And maybe uh, well, they still haven't been good for ninety minutes during twenty sixteen. Kartik, let's switch over to Europa League. Very important time for England. Italy is struggling a bit uh, in twenty sixteen as far as racking up coefficient points they didn't win at all last week this gives England a chance to build a little bit of ground in the coefficient where next year England versus Italy is going to be a major thing after a good year for England comes off the books as far as those rankings are concerned now England has a chance for Manchester United Tottenham and Liverpool to go through to the round of 16 in Europa League uh, as is they each have some work to do let's start with Manchester United they lost 2-1 last week in Denmark against Midtjylland. uh they, like City, are facing a quick turnaround in this one. Only two days off before facing Arsenal on Sunday. How do you think Louis van Gaal is going to juggle those two commitments?
2: I don't know that he can. I mean, uh, I saw, obviously, against Shrewsbury, he he got good performances from Juan Mata and uh, Andrew Herrera. I would expect uh, Marwan Fellaini, if he's fit, to play a role in this. Uh, obviously, I'm not sure what Bastion Schweinstar is with the club, given huh. uh, van Gaal's... Uh, uh, comments now of course that having been said pep's coming in uh, not pep i'm thinking the wrong man to decide uh, some <laughs> other manager will come in uh and pep's perhaps... best friend yeah well right well so some... well if it's jose yeah i think he probably keeps Schweinsteiger around Von yeah. hall has been making three bizarre comments and uh i i think he's cracked so uh, i could see mitiland uh getting an away goal and, and and advancing or maybe manchester united are going to win three or four nil who knows but uh they uh there's really no sense in, in trying to predict results with Manchester United at this no. point. I, It's a difficult one. I mean, I guess,
1: unless you're predicting wins, I mean, that doesn't make much sense. We haven't had a lot of evidence that they're capable of winning games lately. We just know that they're still a talented team. Kartik, I talked about it with Lawrence this weekend. I haven't gotten your thoughts on this. We have had another upsurge in Mourinho coverage about his potential move to Manchester United we had the sister of an executive in Italy say that she knows that Mourinho is going to move to Manchester this year Uh, what are your current thoughts on Jose Mourinho going to Manchester United being uh, the yang to Pep Guardiola's Manchester City Yin?
2: yeah I mean Pep Pep wanted to move away from La Liga, partly to get away from Mourinho. So this is going to be a difficult one for him. And they're both going to be in kind of a rebuilding phase with their clubs. So it it will be most interesting. That having been said, I mean, I think the young uh, Martial is somebody that Mourinho will like if he he comes into that job. Uh, De Bruyne and Sterling are are, are players that, especially De Bruyne, a player that players that Pep will like. Ionaccio is a player Pep will like. So I it's funny because they're both going to be in kind of rebuilding jobs while we look at uh, heading into next season, potentially Spurs as, the, as coming into the season as the favorite uh, next year, assuming they don't have to sell players. Now, I when I talk to people around uh, the game, they tell me Spurs and Daniel Levy do not they will resist the temptation now because they've reached a certain level to sell the Modric's and the bales and those level players they that don't, they burbatov they carry. don't
1: have those that's what's so brilliant about this team they don't have those level of players well maybe with, that's true with <laughs> the exception of christian eriksen they don't have one player that somebody from the continent might want to come in and pluck right well, now real, for
2: real real madrid will probably want
1: eriksen you would think maybe that, or yeah you would you would think you would think so those are the two teams that would make seem to make sense for but even like a harry kane where everybody's speculating he might go somewhere one i don't think tottenham sells him within the league Two, what team from Europe has a need for Harry Kane and will want to pay the the 40 or 50 or 60 million euro fee that Spurs want? There's nobody. Everybody else has better strikers in Europe. Kane is probably not going anywhere. Probably nobody from that team is going anywhere. That's what's so great about this team.
2: Right. So I think Pochettino has uh, Spurs poised as the favorite for next season, whether they win the title this season or not. Uh, But then beyond that, uh, there's going to be wholesale rebuilding all over the league. So. Uh, Mourinho might like his chances to to get some players in and and, and play play the victim card, which he does so well, and, and try and rally the troops to get Manchester United uh, to challenge Spurs for the title. The Arsenal, I think, are going to have. Uh, maybe they're not at the rebuild stage yet, but they're getting there. I think if they if, don't do yeah. it this year, they're
1: if they don't they, win the title this year, they're at least at the rethink stage.
2: Yeah. So uh, again, I think beyond Spurs, there really isn't any team in in uh, England that that looks imposing on paper. So. Uh, Mourinho will probably like going to to Manchester United and and, uh, by all indications, at least the indications of people who seem to like Jose Mourinho, he will behave differently at Manchester United. It's a club esteemed in history, in tradition, in a certain etiquette. Uh, Chelsea is not that. So apparently he understands that and will behave differently. Mm -hmm. We'll see though.
1: We haven't talked too much about Midgetland, but neither of us are Midgetland experts. And I think it goes without saying, if Manchester United fall out of Europa League to Midgetland... We're in uncharted territory, so anything that we would say about the repercussions would be highly speculative. You would expect there to be some kind of, at least discussion of repercussions. It would be one of the more uh, embarrassing incidents in Manchester United's history. Let's move to London. Let's talk about what's going to happen at White Hart Lane on Thursday. Harry Kane, Musa Dembele, both out as Tottenham welcomes Fiorentina. This one is tied 1-1 after the first leg. And based on that result and the switch of venue and the talent between these two teams, you would expect Tottenham to be favorites in this one, Kartik?
2: Yeah, this is a big game. Very, very big game for the league because of the coefficient. And I thought when this draw came up that maybe Spurs would uh, give up on Europa League considering they're in, the, they're in the league title race and they were still in FA, the FA Cup. Pochettino did the opposite. He went ahead and, and let go of the FA Cup. Played a very much a rotated reserve like squad in the fa cup got eliminated by crystal palace who we know has been very bad in the league and now are in a position where they are going to have to um to to to, to try and advance from this tie to justify that and mm-hmm. as i said head to head this is a very very big deal uh, apollo Sue's coming back to london by the way he's manager he uh, has been famously depicted on the on qpr documentary why am i blocking on what it's called Four Year plan
1: mm-hmm. uh,
2: when he was sacked he had a, he had basically
1: a cameo in that one <laughs>
2: Yes, uh, he had like like all the managers in the yeah. <laughs> that are pre pre Warnock. Uh, he had a uh, he had a cameo like every other manager. Uh, he went on to better things. That at Swansea did very well. at Swansea almost got them promoted. Uh, made the mistake of going to Leicester, which was seen as a big money project at the time. Obviously, mm-hmm. the big money project has paid off now for Claudio Ranieri as they sit top of the table a couple of years later. But a hot, highly thought of manager has done a very good job with Fiorentina. And so it'll be good yeah. to see him match up with, uh, with Pochettino, who I think the, these days is kind of considered the top manager in England, mm-hmm. uh, even though he wasn't considered that in Spain. I don't know if that, that tells you the, the caliber of managers in England or yeah. it's just that he's he's raised his game since yeah. coming to the progression Yeah,
1: uh, the progression of a young professional maybe there. Yeah, Souza went on to have uh, very good results in Switzerland, and then, of course, he switched over to Italy now, and he's having a very good uh, year there. Fiorentina's in third place uh, right now, and obviously very good team to watch. And-
2: for, for those who don't know, I, I know we're taking a side here, but uh, basically uh, a player, Dexter Blackstock was loaned to Nottingham Forest or sold to Nottingham Forest from QPR when Sousa had specifically requested that the uh, ownership uh, keep this player because he didn't have another striker. So, uh, and then he went in the press and said, uh, I didn't, yeah. Sell the player, basically. And, then, yeah, and then, so he was he was sacked immediately. Yeah, and QPR tried off. to cancel Can't
1: his cancel his contract yeah. for leaking inside information essentially. Right,
2: right,
1: right. Um, last game on the Europa League docket here, Liverpool versus Augsburg. Liverpool with a huge talent advantage here. Augsburg, we know, well, if you follow the show, you know, struggled mightily at the beginning of the Bundesliga season as they struggled group play in Europa League with the Bundesliga campaign. They have fought their way slightly clear of a relegation battle there and looking like they're gonna climb towards the middle of the table as is a healthy Liverpool has so much more talent than Augsburg here Switch in location here this one is also even going into the second leg and also Augsburg looks like they're going to be without their uh, leading scorer in the competition Raul Bovedia who picked up an injury last week Uh, this to me has the the makings of a comfortable result here for Liverpool I guess the danger here is one how do you balance this against the League Cup and two how do you not lose focus on the game at hand given what's happening on Sunday
2: Right, Boba is out for Augsburg, and that makes a pretty big difference uh, in in their attacking play. They've been decent. They've gotten results. They've been gutting out results in Bundesliga. I've watched uh, a fair amount of them recently, but I still think Liverpool's getting fit. They're getting comfortable with Klopp. Uh, They're going to win. They're they're a threat to win this competition. I think, uh, obviously, uh, Borussia Dortmund, they've got got to get through this round, uh, but Borussia Dortmund... And Spurs are the two teams that stand out as favorites in the competition. But beyond those two, uh, Liverpool might be in the next pack of teams, believe it or not. Uh, yeah. Manchester United is not there. They're not going to win anything Whew. this yeah. So I, whoever they draw next, if they get by Mithiland, I'm going to probably get Boy.
1: it. I think I really agree with you, especially with a team like Napoli having to juggle a, a league challenge um, in Serie A. They obviously have aspirations there. And the talent that Liverpool has and then just the improvement they might seen over the last couple of months, yeah, I think I agree with you. I hadn't really considered Liverpool that much of a threat in this competition, but I think it might happen. Uh, but Kartik, before we go to break, I want to shift focus a little bit to Sunday. Nipun and I are going to break down a League Cup final in the next segment. But before we do that, I just want to get your prediction. City versus Liverpool at Wembley. Who claims the League Club?
2: I think Liverpool wins because they've got they've obviously already shown they can beat Manchester City badly this season. They've also got probably a fresher you know they've got this augsburg tie they've got they're getting their players fit and back from injury. Manchester City has a similar injury crisis to when to what Liverpool had when they played Exeter City in that FA Cup tie at the beginning of January. So it's just a matter of timing. If Manchester City had played Liverpool then in a League Cup final or League Cup semi-final, they would have been the favourite. They probably would have won. I think at this point... uh, And Pellegrini made the decision to keep Sterling on for 90 minutes and Silva on for 90 minutes and Torre on for 90 minutes against uh, uh, Kiev, uh, thinking he needed the third goal, which he got. So... Uh, which he got right at almost up to death. What that means is that those guys are going to have to go a, a second 90 minutes or maybe 120 minutes without sufficient cover. Uh, I think it, I think all of that stuff favors Liverpool. That having been said, uh, Sergio Aguero uh, and Yaya Touré are stu, still two of the, uh, the, the, the the few real game changers in England that can just take a game by the scruff of the neck. And when Torrey's motivated, he's he's pretty tough to stop even at his age.
1: Everybody at home in your subway cars in your cars, let's welcome in Nipun Chopra now. Nipun, it's been a while. It's nice to talk to you again. And the A team, the A team, mm-hmm. exactly. You can go ahead and keep calling us that. Nobody listening <laughs> to
0: our voices believes that. Hey, if you believe in this hashtag A team, baby. Uh,
1: if you believe in this, you probably also believe in fairies. <laughs> There's only, there's only one real piece of news since Sunday, uh, and I'm not even sure if it's news yet, but on Tuesday, Tuesday morning out of Italy, Gazzetta dello Sporto, reporting that Antonio Conte and Chelsea have an agreement in principle for Conte to be named Chelsea manager for next season. Follow-up reporting during the week from English outlets hint that the negotiations are still going on, perhaps Italian media getting ahead of themselves again there. But just in general, Conte to Chelsea seems like a real possibility right now, Napoom. What's your reaction to that?
0: It's a good fit, I think. I'm very curious to hear what you think. But for a while there, Conte was just another one of those Quote unquote next Mourinho's, uh, you know, we had Avb and Rogers and a bunch of people who were being uh, pres- prescribed as the next uh, Jose Mourinho. This about five or six years ago mm-hmm. when Pro- Mourinho was probably hottest uh, during that inter run, um, and I think uh, it's a good fit. I think tactically there are things that Conte does that would fit Chelsea's style. He he likes to play with holding midfielders. Uh, I can see Fa- uh, Fabregas playing in the modified Pirlo role that he had at Juventus. Uh, Matich, Obi Mikhail, if, if they don't hire, this is, of course, assuming that the current personnel will be there next season, which is not far from, uh, the case with Chelsea. So in a lot of ways, it's, it's, uh, it's a good fit. There's one dark mark over Conte, which is the, the match fixing scandal, uh, a little bit. We can talk about that, but your thoughts, do, do you think Conte is a good fit for Chelsea?
1: I can't get a good read on it, Napoon. I, I go back and for- forth on this. Yeah. The negative is that I'm not really sure how to contextualize what he did with Juventus. Mm. Uh, he obviously was very successful there. When he moved to Juventus, Juventus had just had a terrible season. It was a couple yeah. seasons after they had just come back up to Serie A. Uh, kind of the momentum that they had from that had been spurned amid a bunch of spending that didn't really work out that well for Juventus. And he not only got them to rebound from that, but he got them um he got them winning titles on a regular basis but i think what we've seen in the interim is that italy hasn't exactly been the most competitive of league. We can add to that his experience with the Italian national team, where I think when I look at the Italian national team, he's done some good things with some very limited talent. But there is this perception that the Italian national team should still be among Europe's elites, and I don't think that they are. There's this perception that they have the talent to be among Europe's elite, something I disagree with. I agree.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. I disagree with that notion as well.
1: Yeah, so I think it's a bit of a mixed bag, and I'm not actually sure how much of what I've seen from... Conte actually translates to the Chelsea job. The things that I like is that he's youngish. He's 60. He's, uh, 68. 60. 60. He's, 40, no, he's, he's 46 years old. He's actually not that far removed from his playing days. He was a long time player for Juventus. He's about a decade, a little more than a decade beyond that right now. He should be able to relate a little bit to players. Um, But I just don't know. I don't know what to think about it. He uh, he seems to be very versatile in his tactics, um, at least in the setups that he uses. Plays three at the back, plays four at the back, can play a varying number of uh, strikers. Uh, So I don't think he'll be nailed into any particular approach coming into the Chelsea squad. And maybe for a squad that it kind of needs to be remade a little bit. That's probably a good thing. I, I just uh, Nipu, maybe you can give me some context on how yeah. you're thinking about this. I just don't know how to stack him up against the other managers in the Premier League. At the same time, when City is going out and getting somebody like Pep Guardiola, I, I just don't know where Antonio Conte fits into that picture.
0: Yeah, I think Conte is definitely not in that upper echel. He's not the first person you think of when you think of top level. Well, world class managers. I mean, I think when we did the manager review, we all agreed that, uh, the likes of Ancelotti and Guardiola and maybe Simeone and Mourinho, um, fall in the under, under the category. Mm-hmm. And maybe Conte is just a level below that where we discussed uh, another set of managers, but you would have to say that at least so when, when I look at this Italy thing, Richard, I think he did a good job with as, as you said, with, with a limited amount of talent. I think, I think his handling of some very, combustible Italian talent, uh, which he did pretty well, is indicative of, of what I think he'll find at Chelsea, which we know, Richard, the big issue at Chelsea is not that they don't have talent. It's that they have a bunch of combustible uh, egomaniacs who run that dressing room. So from that perspective, I think well, having I, I'd some... I'd
1: actually disagree with that. I think okay. that their talent has this year shown that it's it's aged enough to where they actually need some pretty significant additions to the team. I think that talent-wise, mm-hmm. they... I think Mourinho just did a better job with that talent than we gave him credit for last year.
0: And that that's also true. Again, it comes back to that man management thing, which I think Conte is good at. But mm-hmm. I still think there's significant talent there. Don't get me wrong. I, I agree. I think Chelsea needs to reinvest and there will be player turnover this summer. But I think there's still quite a good number of very good players at that club.
1: Yeah, I agree with you on that. We're going to talk about the Premier League here in a second, but for now, let's jump down to the championship, which played its 33rd round of the season midweek. Among Tuesday's results, first-place Hall stayed on top of the table with a 1-0 win at Ipswich with Mohamed Diame's early second-half goal handing Mick McCarthy's team their third straight loss. Second place Burnley, having played one more game than Hull, stayed within a point of the top thanks to their one nothing win at, against visiting Nottingham Forest, while Middlesbrough, down in third place but with two games in hand, snapped their six-match winless run with a 3-1 victory over Cardiff, staying within two points of the top. Further down, Brighton continues to push for a top-two place, one point behind Burrow after their 4-0 romp at Bristol City, while Derby won their second in a row, their second since moving on from Paul Clement, with a 1-0 result Wednesday against Blackburn. The Rams stay fifth, five points from an automatic promotion spot, while Sheffield Wednesday holds down sixth, despite their home draw with QPR. Uh, a heads-up for this weekend, on Saturday in Spain, Atletico Madrid visits Real Madrid, a resurgent rivalry on one hand, on another hand, a f- just a fight for second place in Spain. Either way, it's Zinedine Zidane's first major test in charge of Los Blancos. In Germany, Bayern visits fellow Champions League side Wolfsburg. But Nipun, our main focus, of course, yeah. is England. Eight league matches, one cup final. Where should we start?
0: Let's do what we do every week, Richard. We'll, we'll rank these games or talk about them in the order uh, in the... ascending order the number nine game being the one that we consider to be uh the least possibly the least enjoyable aesthetically pleasing whatever metric you want to use and with that parameter obviously the least likely game of any that anyone should watch this week is west brom at number nine west brom versus crystal palace now as you pointed out before the game, uh, before we start recording, this is on NBC for some inexplicable reason. Uh, you know, it, It's, it's going to drive home the narrative of soccer being a boring sport. Uh, we know about West Brom. I think the big thing to look at here uh, will be Palace will try to create using their wingers, Zaha Bolasi, and maybe Adebayor can get involved in this game and, and put away a goal on uh, a West Brom side that has been resolute but very painful and blasé to watch.
1: Number eight on our list is Aston Villa's visit to Stoke City. This is a game where Stoke City clearly has the superior team and the superior talent, but we've seen Stoke City struggle when they have to play on the front foot. They've been very good in counterattacking, very good when they can have other teams create space for them. It's going to be the other way around this weekend at the Britannia. You'd expect Stoke City to get three points out of this one at the same Mm -hmm. time. They're going to have to go out of their shell to do so.
0: Number seven is Watford versus Bournemouth. Uh... Burnmouth have had a good record, actually, away from home recently. Um, Watford have lost five out of their last nine Premier League games. Interestingly, the last time Troy Deeney played Burnmouth at Vicarage Road scored a hat-trick. a 6-1 win my prediction for this game is actually a draw number six on the list
1: tells you how many good matches we have to watch this weekend because southampton versus chelsea is a pretty good match southampton is playing like the best defense in the league since the new year and chelsea is coming off maybe their two best performances of the season one of those against a third choice city squad in the fa cup still chelsea is playing as good as they have at any point during their title defense, Southampton still has an outside shot at a top-four finish. They need to push on. Going to be a difficult task this weekend at St. Mary's. Very good matchup there.
0: Definitely. I, I have to say Chelsea's looking good right now. I, I think uh, Hazard scoring and Costa informed this, this, is, uh, this could be an ominous game in terms of where Southampton might be on the receiving end of a hiding. Number five, West Ham versus Sunderland. West Ham are still missing a bunch of players, uh, who, who are their creative players in, in Valencia, who's a doubt. Andy Carroll, who's perennially injured. Asako might be injured as well. Uh, Allardyce returning to his old club. And then the, the big thing I think you guys mentioned, uh, maybe a couple podcasts ago was, uh, how good Mark Noble has been. I expect him to be involved, uh, and lead West Ham to a comfortable win. But I expect at least one red card in this game.
1: Number four is at White Hart Lane, where Swansea, trying to pull themselves out of a relegation battle, visit Tottenham Hotspur, a Tottenham team that is coming off a loss in the FA Cup to Crystal Palace. As was pointed out this weekend, Tottenham did generate a number of chances in that game. Uh, they're out playing FIORNT on Thursday, where you'd expect that match at home. They'll continue... Uh, pushing on and being one of the best teams in England since the turn of the calendar. Part of the question here is the turnaround time. It's a, They do have Friday and Saturday off, but they're still doing that quick Europa League turnaround. And a Swansea team that can keep the ball on the ground and has a reasonable amount of skill and in certain players' speed in their team might be able to take advantage of any mistakes that Spurs are likely to make. At the same time, you have to think Mauricio Pochettino's team, heavy favorites in this one.
0: Definitely. Do, do you know if Kane is uh, going to play? I know he had a mm. broken nose.
1: Kane is going to be out of the Fiorentina game, as well as Musa Dembele is going to be out. So yeah. we'll have to wait and see how he reacts to that. But there is a possibility that we might see Sun Hyun Min up top for Spurs.
0: Which is interesting, right, Richard? Because then you would say that the four most important players in each position, obviously, Lloris is out, Vertonghen in defense is out, Dembele is out in midfield, and then Kane up top. So... That's an interesting uh, workaround that Pochettino is going to have to do there.
1: Hmm, Yeah, that is interesting.
0: Number three, Leicester City versus Norwich City. Uh, The prediction is that Leicester wins comfortably, uh, simply because Leicester is playing out of their minds. Norwich, in my opinion, uh, as I've said many times, a very, very poor side. Uh, What I was asking myself before I started recording, if Leicester are to get a point, what would they have to do? And what they would have to do do you mean uh, would
1: Norwich get a point? Oh, sorry,
0: yeah. If Norch want to get a point or more, what would they have to do? Now, what <laughs> they'd have to do was get uh, Robbie Brady involved. Wes Houlihan scored last week. And then one of the two up top, Jerome or Mopakani, will have to uh, score from what I expect would be maybe just one or two chances in the game. Mm-hmm. Lester probably run away with this one.
1: Whenever I watch North City, it seems like the difference between how they're performing this year and how a lot of us expected them to perform is Nathan Redmond. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wes Houlihan is obviously a very talented player, but he's yeah. somebody who at this point in his career, it's been covered a lot, can't play that many minutes in a week. Right. Uh, Nathan Redmond, on the other hand, a very talented player who's ascending into the prime of his career. And hasn't actually been much of a factor this season. I think a lot of people, based on what he's done in previous seasons, based on what he's done for England, maybe expected a little bit more creativity and threat from him this year. Hey, you, you can have years as a young player where you're just racking up the minutes and you're not actually that effective, but it's going to pay dividends down the road. I think that's what these last couple years of Ross Barkley have been about for Everton. But uh, Nathan Redmond, if he doesn't come on, the difference between his potential and his performance might be the difference between. Norwich being a first division side and a second division side next season. Nipun, let's move on to what are clearly the two biggest games on the uh, the calendar this weekend. And it shows you that we must have a cup final that Manchester United and Arsenal are not occupying our number one spot. They're number two on this list. Manchester United is playing the day after. We're recording this at home to Midland. Very important game there. To be knocked out of the Europa League by Midtjitland would be a very, very uh, embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, in an embarrassing season, maybe it would be appropriate. Arsenal, on the other hand, um, ran into a bus on Tuesday against Barcelona. Yeah. They did play on Tuesday, though, as a, compared to Thursday. And that's, I think, where we should start. How midweek performances are going to affect each of these sides. The short-ish turnaround for Arsenal, the short turnaround for Manchester United.
0: Yeah, it's been interesting when you look at the way uh, Van Hall has dealt with training, uh, at least this year. This wasn't true last year, is that he's given United a number of days off, just straight off, not, not light training, not just working on set pieces, just straight up days off after big, after midweek games. Now, I don't think he'll be able to do that because we play tomorrow and then a huge game against Arsenal, as you point out. So, it, and you you and uh, Karthik maybe talked about this, how how difficult it is for that turnaround from Thursday to Sunday. It's so different from Wednesday to Saturday or Tuesday to Saturday.
1: Yeah, Karthik talked about that a lot, especially if you're on the road. Now, Liverpool, Tottenham and Manchester City are playing at home this week. But still, it's hard to come, out, come back on Friday and have a full training. And then you need one prep day in there to actually prep for the other team. Well, oh, so. United,
0: play, United plays at Old Trafford this. Right, right. They all,
1: yeah. they all play at home. Yeah. So Liverpool, Tottenham, and um, and Manchester City aren't having to do the travel thing like they did last week. Thursday, travel back Thursday night, kind of have right. a wasted day on Absolutely. Friday. But you still can't have a full training session for whatever team that you played on Thursday on Friday. They need a recovery day. And then Saturday, it gives you one day basically to prepare for the game.
0: And the thing is that the problem that that gives up for United, Richard, is that Van Hall has to do something special tactically to get expect anything out of this game. Mm-hmm. When you look at United's injury list, right, Will Keane just got injured. He was going to be probably going to uh, play forward, uh, at least come off the bench. He's injured now. So sad. <laughs> I know. It's just devastated for him. He's had the worst luck with injuries. Well, I, just, no, I was saying it's more so sad that Manchester United is at the
1: point where uh, this player that was having trouble scoring goals for, uh, was it Preston or Ipswich he was at? He's it Preston, Preston, right? Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: He scored like one goal in 18 games. Well, to be fair, he scored five Uh, Two weeks ago, in the reserve game. Yeah, I'm not really sure it's
1: fair to mention reserve game (laughs) results, but but it just Uh, it it does speak to the to where Manchester United is at with their injuries and
0: their squad depth. So we're going to end up, Richard, with a back four. I'm not even going to go through the rest of the injuries, but uh, we're probably going to end up with Varela, Smalling, Mm. Blint, uh, and Borthwick Jackson. Apparently, is now injured too. So Rojo, who just came back into training yesterday, uh, is expected to play 20 minutes tomorrow. Might find himself starting against Arsenal, and can you imagine Rojo, who, who on his best day, Richard can be found out for for pace. Here's a guy who hasn't played a game in about six months. He's going to come back, uh, come up against what is on paper and realistically, all the almost realistically every time a very good attacking lineup for Arsenal.
1: Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a bit of a shame, uh, for, I guess this is kind of breaking the fourth wall here. We're actually recording this segment before we record the one that you've already heard with me and Kartik. But one of the things that jumped out to me in the Arsenal game. How,
0: how very, uh, what's that movie out right now? Which is breaking the fourth wall? Deadpool of Us. How oh. very Deadpool of Us.
1: Oh, I haven't seen that one yet. Um, but one of the things that made Barcelona so effective against Arsenal, despite having like seven or eight of the best 15 players in the world, was the way that they pushed Arsenal so deep in their defensive end. And then Javier Mascherano could actually come out of defense and cut off a lot of the balls coming back out to Metsuit Ozil and help maintain that possession. Uh, if Manchester United starts the back four that you talked about, yeah. I'm not sure that they can learn anything from what Barcelona did and play that aggressively with one of their central defenders because neither of those central defenders, maybe blind a little bit, Smalling obviously is very athletic, but neither of those central defenders can have the same influence in midfield and read the game as well as Javier Mascherano. Uh, it, either way, it just seems to really limit Van Hall's option.
0: It really does. I, I think uh, Dali Blint, one of the things that have has gone unnoticed is how well he does read the game. I think he might be, uh, other than maybe one or two defenders, he's actually a midfielder. But his ability to read the game is, I think, exceptional. I think him and Smalling Hmm. have been one of the success stories of this season. I I know that people talk about a lot at the start of the season. But the point Uh is that everyone, including myself, wrote off this... This defensive partnership at the start of the season, and they've done—they've exceeded anyone's expectations. The pr- so for me, that isn't the, really the problem. Well, no, problem, I,
1: I think there are yeah. different ways you can read the game as a defender. Sure. Like there's reading the game and adjusting, going backwards to your own goal, tracking mm-hmm. runners, that type of thing. And then there's reading the game in front of you, as far as cutting, knowing when to come out of defense, having the relationship with your partner, knowing that they're going to cover, and being able to actually win those balls and making the right decision. Because when you're going to leave that space behind you, you have to be almost 100% sure you're going to win that ball. And I think that Daily Blin does read the game really well. I think he's a very, very intelligent player. I just don't know if he has the same instincts as Javier Mastrano, which is not... I don't want to make that sound like a slight because Javier Mastrano has developed into an excellent central defender.
0: Absolutely. I I, I don't think it was a slight. I I think... For what it's worth I think Blint can do a job. For me the danger area is more in the positions around Smalling and Blint, in the left back position, in the right back position, in in the holding midfielder position where we have been, you know, in spite of how good Carrick is who was on the bench uh last uh in the FA Cup uh, game against Shrewsbury, in spite of how good Herrera can be mm-hmm. some days, I think there's a huge gap between those the, the defense and the uh and the midfield and the fact that Our midfielders are exceptionally slow in terms of tracking back. So that is an area that Arsenal has excelled at, making the runs from deep. The likes of Ozil, Sanchez, who's been in and out of form a little bit, Joel Clambill slash uh, Oxlade-Chamberlain, whoever's playing on the other side. So those are areas that really trouble me as a Manchester United supporter. Let me say this, Richard. It's fascinating to me, the history of this tie, because... When I started watching soccer, United and Arsenal were completely uh, were you know at par with each other. They played, uh, they were they were obviously competing against each other all the time. And then there was a while where United, where Arsenal was irrelevant, and United basically had the beating of Arsenal every single time they played each other. And now it's come to the point in the last two or three years, at least for me, that I don't see a way that. That, Arsenal, that United will beat Arsenal. And it, mm-hmm. it just, I love the, I guess I don't love it right now, but I appreciate the cyclical nature of this once great rivalry.
1: Yeah, I guess I just don't see a way Manchester United beats Arsenal, except for the inherent variability of soccer. Right. The one thing that I ask myself coming into this game is something that we've harped on all year with Arsenal, and we reiterated on the weekend show, Arsenal's tendency to be hyper-effective in bursts. Mm-hmm. And until proven otherwise, I gotta believe that that's kind of how Arsenal is gonna win this game, that there will be a, a two to twenty minute stretch of this match where Arsenal is the best team in England and Manchester United can't stop them. I keep going back Manchester United's likely setup and say, is there a way that they could stop them? Is there some way here where Manchester United can have their players, their talent level rise to this occasion? I, I just don't see it as, as, As great as Manchester United's defensive record has been this year, a lot of that has been built off of goal prevention through possession. And if Arsenal does keep the ball as much as they're capable of keeping the ball, or choose to keep the ball as much as they're capable of keeping the ball, even if that possession is only in that 20-minute stretch, I'm just not sure Manchester United has the players to stop them.
0: I mean, you've essentially described the game at the Emirates, is what you just did. For 20 minutes, Arsenal destroyed Man United. They scored yeah. three goals in 25 minutes, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And after that, United looked comfortable in possession, looked like they might score a couple of goals. But realistically, the game was over. And that's exactly what Arsenal need to do, especially away from home. If they can have a productive 20, 30 minutes, they're totally, I mean, that, that's all one would hope for.
1: As we talked about with Kartik this weekend, Manchester United is one of the few teams that is going to play each of the fo- top four teams between now and the end of the season. Yep. If Arsenal can get three road points on Manchester United, that can prove to be a very valuable advantage over the other title contenders. Let's move out of the league and let's talk about the big Hang on, this- you got,
0: you, you, what's your prediction? You said Arsenal winning, right? I'm, yeah, I, I, I think won. I'm going to go with a draw because I'm a United supporter, but Arsenal's going to win.
1: Yeah, I, I think it could be a score. <laughs> I could, think we could see a scoreless draw, maybe a one-one, but I, I'm thinking this is more going to be like a three-one um, for Arsenal. Oof. Uh, Liverpool versus Manchester City at Wembley—it's the match that'll cap off the weekend. It is the first major piece of silverware on the English calendar—the League Cup final. Manchester City got by Everton uh, to get to this final. Liverpool got by Stoke City uh, yeah. for Manchester City. It could be another League Cup. Uh, League Cup for Manuel Pellegrini for Liverpool. It could be Jurgen Klopp's first major success in England. Nipun. Coming up to this weekend, as this tournament unfolded, I saw this as a major opportunity for Liverpool. Uh, mostly because Manchester City has not played that well during this, during these last couple of months. On Wednesday in Kiev, 3-1 victory, rather impressive performance, gives me some indication that their team is coming to life, but we get back to this idea of a quick turnaround plus a long travel, piece of travel for Manchester City I guess the key to this game for me is how that recovery affects a very thin Manchester squ- City squad at this point.
0: Yeah, and you compound that with the fact that Liverpool didn't play FA Cup weekend because they were they were knocked out. Uh, so they've had a really long extended uh, break here. They they will play the the Carling uh, sorry the UEFA Cup game, but the the amount of rest they've had is far exceeded City, who had to rotate heavily uh, on, on Saturday or Sunday, was it, to, in the FA Cup?
1: Yeah, on Sunday at Stanford Bridge. And then they started pretty much their strongest team in Kiev. They do have some depth at the fullback position, so we right. could see Zabaleta and Kolarov come in. They didn't play against Dinamo. Other than that, theres there aren't a lot of options unless Iannaccio comes in and Manuel Pellegrini switches up his formation. All the other major players are going to play again.
0: I mean, this is... I, I find this interesting. We'll come back to the player and uh, personnel th- in a second. I find it interesting because if Pellegrini wins this game uh, or gets, you know, a, a good results, even if it's a draw coming in late from mm. a late equalizer, suddenly people will start remembering how much we love Pellegrini because for a week, well, not a week, a few days now, every, everyone's talking, including Manchester City supporters, have been talking about how Pellegrini has disrespected the FA Cup and all that <sighs> garbage which is absolute garbage first of all yeah so uh, i would love in that sense for city to have another good performance against liverpool because if you if you're a city supporter and you had three games one against chelsea away in the fa cup then uh, an away trip to kiev and then an away trip to anfield and you had a draw a win and a loss from that you'd say well done
1: yeah perhaps Well, you can't have
0: a draw because it's actually I guess it would be two wins, right? Because it's a like final cup final. So. But also,
1: if if you were to rank those priorities in terms of okay, you have a League Cup final, right? You have a Champions League round of sixteen uh, tie, and then you have an FA Cup fifth round match on the road to How Chelsea,
0: would, not just on the road to a, yeah. To a, to and, a and you team, yeah.
1: and you have to play those games over eight days, so prioritize those. And well, I, I can't, yeah. I find it difficult to believe that anybody would prioritize them differently than Pellegrini. Now, what, what are the complaints saying? Do you really want to push Sergio Aguero into three matches in eight days? Does that sound like a good idea with Sergio Aguero, with Vincent Company, his injury history, David Silva, Yaya Toure? What are the real options here? Why are people getting upset at Manuel Pellegrini?
0: I really don't get it. I, I think it's, it's this desire to knock someone down when he's already on the ground because obviously Pellegrini with Guardiola coming in every poor result will be framed as oh the players don't players already know that he's on his way out so they don't support him and stuff like that so it's, it's very easy to dismiss him as such whereas I as you said I think any manager in the world any manager in the world any rational football supporter would have done exactly what Pellegrini did and think about this it If they had got a somewhat decent result, people would have said, oh, look at him trying to bring through youth. But just because they got smashed by Chelsea, the narrative completely changed. And it's extremely frustrating. Mm -hmm.
1: I think maybe there's some anger that Pellegrini seemed to give up on the tie before even the kickoff happened. It's almost as if he was trying to prove a point to the FA through this. And I I can get that a little bit, but you got to give him some leeway. All right, let's talk about the game again here. To me... Liverpool's result at the Etihad. Mm-hmm. Sixth or seventh game into Jurgen Klopp's tenure. I can't remember, but I think we all remember the actual game. Liverpool yeah. just tore Manchester City apart. And a lot of it was the pressure that Liverpool's forwards put on Manchester City's back line. In addition to Felipe Coutinho just stripping Bakary Sanya of the ball <laughs> yeah. to create a goal, what we saw was the pressing that Jurgen Klopp has instilled giving uh, Nicholas Otamende and in that game, Iale came at Mangala a ton of problems. So if you start from that as a premise that Liverpool is going to play that way and it can give certain elements of the Manchester City team trouble I think the questions we have to ask are how much having Vincent Kompany healthy how much potentially having Pablo Zabaleta on the right instead of Bakri Sanya can make a difference in what was a one-sided game
0: yeah I think we have to remember that that game at the the Etihad I think at that point Liverpool had not if I remember correctly they had not really won under uh, Klopp I think they had just been a ton of draws, uh, draw after draw on the club, And I think at that point, they almost had a feeling of nothing to lose. Whereas there's a, there's a sense of pressure here in this Liverpool team. So I don't see it playing out the way it did at the Etihad. Uh, was it at the Etihad or oh, was yeah. it at Anfield?
1: No, was I th- it? It, was at, it was at the Etihad.
0: Okay. So yeah, I don't see it playing out that one-sided. Uh, definitely not in, the, in this cup final. But the things you mentioned as far as City having the propensity to to struggle against the press has shown up not only in that game, but in other games subsequently. Mm -hmm. Uh, Leicester City is another example of that. We we discussed that before. So I don't know. I'm torn in terms of how the game will play out. But I think some of the things that are different now is the incorporation of Sturridge uh, as well. Because in in that game, Sturridge was not fit. So with Sturridge, the would probably be on the pitch unless he has another inexplicable injury, uh, you have to wonder if that same Kind of press that same setup uh, because in that game again if i'm remember, remembering correctly there was a false nine playing so you can you can do the press much mm-hmm. better with a false nine than you can do it with someone like Sturge.
1: yeah it was firmino Lalana and coutinho starting in those three spots and then you had milner make doing that kind of hybrid right, wide exactly. position all right now my turn to ask the question of you prediction for yep. this one
0: prediction for this one uh i think i think city wins Really? And, uh, yeah, I think City will win. Give me a because score. Of, I'm sorry, give, give you a score? Oh, a score. it's going to be, I'm going to say 2-1. Hmm. Simply because uh, I can see the big guys who have been in this position before uh, coming through for City. There's not a lot of winning experience uh, at Liverpool. Um, I guess because of that, you'll have one Touré get over the other Touré. And by the way, this will be the last time either of these Tourés will probably be representing their respective clubs hmm in a high-profile game.
1: Hmm, interesting. Yeah, I think a lot of the prediction here comes down to how much you believe in Jurgen Klopp uh, as yeah. much as he is somebody that has a distinct style that he likes to play and instill in his teams. He is somebody that is seen as some a motivator, somebody that can inspire players and instill a sense of pride in them. And if you are a big fan of Jurgen Klopp, you're probably going to find a way to predict Liverpool wins this
0: one. 2-1 well, Liverpool. are you? 2-1 Liverpool? 2-1 well, Liverpool, oh my. yeah.
1: Well, everybody, we are going to be coming back to you on Sunday after the League Cup Final to talk about that match as well as the eight matches in the Premier League. But until then, for everybody at World Soccer Talk, I'm Richard Farley. George. The World Soccer Talk podcast is a production of World Soccer Talk and is executive produced by Christopher Harris and produced by Richard Farley. You can get the podcast a number of different ways, including Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, SoundCloud, and Audio Boom, or you can go to worldsoccertalk.com to download the show directly. To get in touch with one of the hosts, you can reach out to them on Twitter. I'm Richard Farley. Kartik is KKFLA737, Lawrence is LOZCAST, Loscast. and Nipun is Chopra seven don't want to bother with Twitter, go ahead and reach out via email, richard at worldsoccertalk.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time.